Welcome to the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. I am your host, Adam Comero. It's been a while since the season preview, and I'm just going to give some quick thoughts today as Duke heads into the Maui Invitational, where they've had a lot of historical success. I'm only going to make this about 20 minutes because, in my opinion, there still hasn't really been a big enough sample size and a legit sample size to make overall opinions. I know the narratives are being thrown around crazy, but I think to actually have legit analysis, we need a little more. So I haven't decided I might give some thoughts after each Maui game. I might wait until after the three games have been played and give a little recap at the end of the week. I might just do an overall kind of uh, look at the big picture thing after Duke plays Indiana. I think that's somewhere around the 29th, something like that. Because right now, Duke has played three games. The first game against Kentucky, I mean, the world might have stopped just in terms of the sports world for what the reaction seemed like. It was just Duke is the greatest team. Duke would beat all the NBA team, or Duke would beat like the Cleveland Cavaliers. And it was just wild. Um, So that's why sometimes I get frustrated that Well, NBA, there's a lot of narrative-based reactions, but there's also really, really great analysis. Sometimes, or most of the time, I feel college basketball, it's completely narrative-based. And that's why I like to kind of look... Rewatch the games, rewatch the plays, player analysis, just really look at how things are happening. And so it's not just Duke is winning because they're more talented or Duke is winning because, oh, they have a point guard or stuff like that. So um, here's what I've seen from Duke and what I am hoping for as they head into the Maui Invitational because Kentucky, Kentucky just had a really poor game plan, poor lineup choices, and they would just look taken aback by the whole situation. They, they look like they weren't ready for Duke. And I mean, coaches, they get worshiped in college. There's Cal really didn't, it didn't seem like good preparation for them, at least in my opinion, coming into that game. I, I mean, I will first admit that I was dead wrong. I thought Kentucky would win and I still think they didn't play to their strengths. I mean, with Duke, Duke isn't big inside. Kentucky didn't use that to their advantage at all. They never looked to get the ball inside. And I mean, mean, in terms of the point guard, I don't know. I would take uh, uh, Hagen's. I wouldn't have started him. I would have uh, quickly. That's the name I was looking for. I would put quickly in and said, and it's just Kentucky let Duke dictate the pace I think, and now that there's a scouting report, now that there's film on this Duke team, it's not just players in high school and you know you don't quite know how they're going to play together. I think that's when we'll see teams really be able to scout Duke more and game plan for him. And we saw that when Duke played Army, I think Army, they, they played a really smart game, but the key with Duke is with their defense. I mean, their, their season is going to be defined by their defense because offense, I mean, you'd hate to think they just have to outscore every team. I've made a lot of comparisons to the 2016 Duke team, and I'm not sure I'm ready to back away from those uh, comparisons right now, but here's the difference. This team can force more turnovers. The key is can. And they do they overplay a lot they help a lot which can leave them susceptible 
if the if they don't get the turnovers because obviously there's going to be other players open for spot ups opportunities off the dribble or catch and shoot all kinds of possibilities. So Duke has to get those turnovers. And there was a lot of overplaying versus Army, but they didn't get them. And the same thing happened versus Kentucky. It's just Duke scored so much that it didn't matter. But their defense versus Kentucky, in first half and second half, it wasn't just garbage time. It wasn't good. It just got overlooked because the offense was so, so unbelievable. So then when the thinking was, oh, Duke's defense, they fell off versus Army, they really didn't fall off. It's just, it was the same thing. They're, they have so, their athletes are so amazing that they do have the ability to play that harassing overplay defense. But again, it can leave them susceptible. So they got to get those turnovers. They got to, to have the live ball turnovers, especially. It can't just be turnovers. It has to be leading to success on the other end. I mean, this team's going to rely so much on energy. And what helps energy more than anything else is live ball turnovers converting off of them. Army, they weren't able to do that, simply put. So Army has the shooters. They have really that experienced players. And when Duke didn't get the turnovers and they, and they weren't able to get out to shooters, bang, that's it. I mean, transition defense is always going to be an issue with young teams. That, it's growing pains. It's not fun to watch sometimes, but it is going to be an issue, and especially with uh, Dukes trying to team rebound as much as possible. That can leave them susceptible. But at the same time, you just got to get back. I mean, the one th- I, I don't like this the whole effort stuff. Every time Duke has ever lost in the last 10 years, they just didn't try hard enough, and it's very easy. You hear that all the time with players, and it's very fans soak it up because if you have talented players, how could you lose to a team that isn't? As talented. I mean, it's nonsense but uh, to believe that. But I think sometimes the players and the coaches feed into it by saying that post-game, we just didn't play hard enough. And and effort isn't just how hard do they run. It's mental effort as well, doing the right things. But when you're still learning the system, it's getting used to it. A guy like Cam Reddish, he's playing his butt off right now on defense, on ball. But... In high school, he played He played a lot of this soft 2-3 zone defense. I mean, it was very simplified. So now he's really struggling to on help defense and then uh, rotating back to his man. If he, if When he helps and he doesn't, uh, he's not able to force the turnover. Then he's slow to get back. He loses track of his man. It's not that he's not trying. It's just he's getting... He has to get used to a brand new style. I mean, with the team defense, that's why so many young players struggle coming out of high school because it's not just like offense. We can just give the ball to someone and say, hey, go get a bucket. Team defense, everything is, you need synergy. Everything works together. You need to talk. These guys aren't forced to talk enough in high school. Some don't know how to do it at all in the first place. So I think everyone has to get used to that. So I, I think the defense, teams will scout them, and teams will figure that out. They're going to be playing a team in San Diego State today. San Diego State, they're not going to be able to just beat you off the dribble. But they can use Duke's aggressiveness to their advantage, potentially, if Duke doesn't get the turnovers. Because on uh, spot-up opportunities, they're great. And spot-up, it's not just catch and shoot. It's just whenever there is... A, uh, a pass to someone else who makes a play off the dribble or, or just can be catch and shoot. 
so Duke has to really be smart in terms of when to gamble. But I don't mind it right now. This isn't like past Duke teams where it was just they didn't have they didn't have the ability to do it. This team does and you can see it and I want to see the aggressiveness and they're going to get burned sometimes. It's just going to happen. But better to go through the growing pains now cuz I don't the last thing I want to see them do is just turn into a uh, kind of a bend but don't break. You hear that a lot in football with the defense, but not aggressive. I want them to be aggressive. And again, they will get burned sometimes, but I think it's worth it in the long run. So so I'd say defense, that is the biggest, biggest, biggest thing. Along with Coach K, it was unfair in my opinion for him to these early season or preseason comparisons he made of Trey Jones to some of the all-time Duke defensive point guards like Wojo, like Amaker, um, I think Duhan, guys like that. I mean, that's crazy. I said, let's 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 take it down a notch. If he can be 75% as good as Derek Thornton on ball, that's a great thing. Right now, he's the I, w- I would say I'm still hoping for that. He, I would like to see him pick the ball up earlier more because especially on transition, if you let the guy with the ball come to you, if you're standing there, you're done. So if he's so good on ball, pick it up earlier. In half court, he is struggling to stay in front of his man. So again, that that's what causes Duke wants to help when they have the advantage. They don't want to help just because their guy's getting beat. So he's not getting beat a ton, but he's but he's getting beat enough to say he needs to improve. I, I, so I will say Trey, Cam Reddish, and uh, Alex O'Connell's really struggled on ball and uh, getting back in transition. So I would say he needs to improve. He's a guy who I thought could have a much bigger role this year, but he has to be more than just a spot-up outside shooter. He has to prove he can contribute positive ways to the rest of the game. The, the, there's four players who I thought have struggled at times on defense. The last is Javin Delorier. Delorier still, I don't know, he, he's still kind of, he tries to do too much it seems at times. And he's the one guy I would say there is a little bit of communication issues it seems like in terms of where he needs to be. Duke has actually played the pick and roll pretty well. There hasn't been many opportunities, but when, when there have been, they played really well, to be honest. The times they haven't are when Javin's in there. And it seems like he's just, he's all over the place. And it's kind of that overly twitchy sort of energy. And the foul rate, it's still off the charts. As soon as he gets in, it's immediate fouls. <laughs> One guy I thought he wouldn't play that much in terms of legit playing time this season would be um, Antonio Vrankovic, Duke's only senior. He's gotten more than I thought already. So we'll see if that continues. I think a lot of that has to do with foul trouble. So I would say that's the defense. I, I, I like what I've seen most of the time. I don't think there's effort issues. I think it's just a matter of knowing when to gamble and getting back in transition and just not falling asleep. But falling asleep, that's not a matter of blame. It's, get, it's just no, it's being, I think experience will help a lot. So on offense, again, I don't want this to go too long because I'm doing I'm doing this on game day, and 
there will be very little time for anyone to listen. So, uh, offense, I think it's dangerously similar to 2016. I mean, I'll say that. I mean, this is the reason why I say I can't, I'm shocked sometimes that really, really talented point guards come to Duke is exactly what's happening to Trey. And it's such a small sample size. We'll see what happens. But he's not involved at all. Like, the, the stuff about how oh, Duke's doing better because their offense is so good because they have a point guard. He's not involved at all in, in, in half-court offense at all. So, I'm not quite sure where that analysis is coming from unless it's just going to come no matter what happens in the games. Because Trey hit... Duke's first shot of the season, a spot-up uh, three-pointer. He had two garbage-time threes at the end of Army. And besides that, scoring nothing. And assists, they've pretty much all come in transition. Or actually, see, there's in the last two games, he's had six out-of-bounds assists, straight from, out of, straight from throwing the ball out-of-bounds. Like, that's kind of crazy. A little uh, assist king, out-of-bounds assist king Trey Jones. But... I mean, he's not running the offense. The guy who's running the offense is R.J. Barrett, who's fantastic, but it would help Duke for Trey Jones to run the offense more. I mean, it's the, it's the same thing as 2016 where Derek Thornton, he was just basically, his job was to keep the ball moving and hoping he could hit catch and shoot opportunities, which wasn't his game. And that's it on offense. And then be very effective in transition. And I think that's the hope for a lot of these point guards these days. With Ray, unless you have a ton of experience and you have earned K's trust over the years, then this is how it is. Unless you're Kyrie Irving, so I don't think I, I can't think of any point guard besides that or Jason Williams in the last twenty years who's been allowed to come in and really run things immediately. So we'll see how it goes with Trey. I'm hoping he gets more of a role, but it's not it's not him. He's not right right now. He's just not. A, he's not a great shooter. So he has to be allowed to play to his strengths, and right now he's not. And it's not just that. It's just he's not involved at all. So I would like to. See, he is the biggest thing. Is I want him more involved in half court offense. I mean transition. He's unbelievable. He's absolutely unbelievable. I want him more involved in half court. I think it'll help the team as a whole. Zion Williamson, this is the Zion extravaganza, the Zion circus this year. I'm a Duke fan. I'm already sick of the Zion narratives being forced down everyone's throat. But you know what? He, he's, he's amazing. I mean, he really is. I mean, the stats, the eye test, the everything, and it's not just that. It's the fact that he's a basketball player, not a mixtape highlight. Zion's fantastic. I don't think he's ready to be the focal point of this Duke team. I, th- I think some will think, oh, why isn't he always, why doesn't he always have the ball? Why, why does RJ Barrett seem to initiate the offense more? Zion picks and chooses his spots really well. He's smarter than a lot, than some may give him credit for. I, I think right now his efficiency is the best thing and the timing. He's got to w- watch out for those fouls, though. He gets in foul trouble a little too easily. But I love, like, defensively, I was really worried about him coming into the season, and he is fantastic so far, and just in terms of letting, uh, of roaming, his ability to roam. And I think one guy that I would say that my biggest shock through three games is Jack White, because I was bigger on Jack White than most in terms of his role. I actually, 
thought he would be huge for Duke this season, but I but I wasn't ready for it to be so immediate. I said uh, I'm not really worried about him in non-conference play because he's going to be huge once ACC season hits, and we didn't have to wait for that. It was immediate. So I would say J- Jack White. I mean, he's not. It's the stats are interesting in terms of how it's tracked because it's he's never listed as the center. Even when uh, Bolden's out and and Vrankovic is out, um, if he's playing with Zion, Zion will be listed as the center. But to be honest, when I see it, a lot of times it's Jack White. He's playing so big. He's 6'7", but he's playing so much bigger than that. And he's just, man, he, he's like improved version of my dude David McClure from back in the day. I mean, he just will do all the dirty work. I love the dude. I mean, in terms of just playing to the best of one's abilities, to one's highest capability, Jack White might be the most consistent dude through three games. I mean, he's been fantastic. Bolden's also played really well. I don't know if Kay just wants to use him in spurts um, for, for energy purposes or what. I think I think Kay's really, really in on Javin Deloria and just wants to give Javin every possible opportunity despite Javin's struggles a bit so far. So we'll see what happens with that. I'd like to see Bolden get more PT. But, I mean, when Jack White's on the court, Jack White's been fan fantastic. So outside of that, I mean, Baird's been, Baird's a pro. He's, he's, made, he's made some uh, mistakes, but, I mean, few and far between. Shot, shot choices can improve. But, hey. I think, the, I think a huge thing with Duke is they've taken a lot of threes. And we'll see what happens if Cam Reddish has a game where he doesn't shoot well. Cam didn't play the second half of Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan was a... I don't even think I mentioned that. Their third game, I mean, they were just overwhelmed. Anyone who saw uh, Duke versus McGill uh, exhibition, it was pretty much like Eastern Michigan. Fun to watch. I, there was no takeaways. I mean, it was just Eastern Michigan couldn't even get the ball across half court. And that's why I keep stats after every game and then and total it for the season because, I mean, it's like after Eastern Michigan, the season stats were just so skewed because of that one game. So it's it's not, there's not too many takeaways from that. It was just they played a team that was overwhelmed. And Kentucky, Kentucky was a team that was almost overwhelmed at that point. Of the season. I mean, that's why, like, UNC, it's not that they just play Gonzaga and uh, Kentucky non-conference. It's that they play them mid to late December, and it's still not March type of atmosphere, but it's so much better than, the than like, November games, especially the early November games, because it's just there's no scouting reports on anyone. You don't know what you're going to get. It's just such a, an unknown game. I, I I mean, Kentucky's another one. I just don't take too much out of that, except, hey, Duke's talented. And Kentucky played like, played like crap, and it was the perfect storm. So I will say, um, Duke, it's going to be interesting. If Cam Reddish doesn't have one of those monster shooting games, he set the Duke freshman record, made seven against uh, Army. Trey Jones made uh, two garbage time, like I said before. And Army was... was their best shooting game. They started five of seven versus Kentucky. So I, I think the big Cam Reddish game against Army, the big start versus Kentucky, 
that might skew the stats a little. I don't know if they're going to be able to keep that up. Yeah, well, we'll see because teams are going to want Duke to beat them from outside. Uh, there's a lot of ISO going on. I think with Trey Jones, if he gets more opportunities, there won't be as much ISO. I do think a big strength of uh, Duke on offense is their ability to find early successful opportunities in the shot clock. They rarely let it get below, I mean, 20. I mean, 15, I would say they rarely let it get below 15. A lot of times they're shooting uh, before it even gets to 20. And it's not just that they're forcing it. It's just, it's back and forth. They just want to keep up that pace, but they're smart players. They're not wasting any time. It's not going to be like 2016 where there's a lot of just holding the ball on the wing as they ISO. This team wants to get as many opportunities, as many possessions as possible, but efficient possessions. I mean, the less half court right now, the better. But if they're going to make it like 2016, and 2016, if you don't remember, it was the Grayson Allen, Luke Kennard, and uh, Brandon Ingram. Threesome. It was just basically spread, spread the offense and let them, let them ISO. That was it for, from, from a wing. Clear out one side, let them ISO from a wing. And I think this Duke team, they are more creative than that, and they're better passers than that team. So I think... One thing I was hoping for was for K to be creative with the skill set of this team. I haven't seen a lot of that. I'm hoping to see more. So this is all hope and what's happened. This isn't something where I'm going to be projecting. I'm going to do that after I get more games to watch. Because it's just, it's not enough so far. Um, is it, let, me, let me think if there's anything else. Because if not, I'm just going to wrap this right up. And no promises for reaction after uh, every game of the Maui Invitational, but I might. If not, definitely something post-game. Um, you know what? No. I, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, the free throw shooting got to improve. I think I, I just want to see continuous energy from the team, but they know it. I wouldn't relate that necessarily only to effort. It's more than that. It's just consistency. Consistency game to game. Knowing what you have to do. Being pros. I mean, these, a lot of these guys are going to be in the NBA next year. Might as well make it an NBA type of expectations for them in terms of consistency game to game. Um, I hope if, if I get a chance to record after San Diego State, I'm going to be talking a lot about what I expect to be Auburn. That is that if Duke beats San Diego State, I expect to be talking a lot of, uh, about Auburn a lot. Auburn scares the hell out of me. <laughs> um, but, I mean, same thing. Auburn played two teams that they were just they beat down. And then they played Washington, who they played unbelievably against. Washington plays a zone defense, which, I mean, it's a Syracuse zone. It's very unlike most two threes. And Auburn just smashed it. But I'm not sure what how many takeaways you can have from that just one game. But Auburn is just super talented. I said if Duke plays Auburn, the over-under for that game, total points, I mean, that could be set 165-170. That might be one of the most entertaining games just to watch of the non-conference season. 
So we'll see what happens. And Duke plays San Diego State. And, yeah, I mean, right now it's wait and see. So I just want to give a, qu- a couple quick thoughts. I didn't want to go too in-depth into it. And, uh, yeah, with the game in a couple hours, I'll leave it at that. So subscribe, rate, review, do what you do for Comoros Corner on iTunes where you will always be able to find the Duke Basketball Corner podcast. I'm Adam Comro. I will be back with you guys soon. Thanks so much for listening.